It is an absolute pleasure to be here today, and looking out over the audience, I have friends scattered in every direction. And it's such a pleasure to see so many of you again. It's been years since I've seen some of you. Others come quite regularly. I lecture live the first Saturday of every month at the Creation Evidence Museum. And I try to be back in town to kiss my wife, uh, pick up the bills, pay them, and lecture, and then I leave again. Uh, and amazingly, she likes it that way. I have no idea why, uh, but it feeds her and it keeps everything going. Well, I've learned that if I sit down, I'm, in three months, I'll be 83 years of age. <clears throat> but there is no place to quit. I, I prefer to work. I prefer to accomplish. We just signed a 30-year lease with the McFall family on the McFall property for the excavations to continue with unrestricted access to the areas we want to excavate. Do you understand what I just said? It was those excavations, Pastor, that brought me back to Texas. I grew up in Texas, went off, and uh, didn't have enough sense to come back. <laughs> but I was completing the Masters, and uh, I was assigned an excavation of one dinosaur footprint. Came to Glen Rose to do precisely that. <clears throat> Had a team of preachers and missionaries who helped do the work. And they said, you just tell us what to do and uh, we'll do it and you can do the precise excavation. So that worked. And after four days, we had 19 dinosaur footprints in a trail. Now that's an amazing accomplishment itself. I tried to stop the excavations and uh, Charles Hiltabittles said, just let us remove one more slab of rock. Just tell us what to do. Now, those slabs weigh about 3,000 pounds each. But there's a precise way to remove them. It has to be done by hand. We remove that, and at the back of that area, after removing about 8 inches of solid limestone, going through 4 inches of clay marl, on the next layer... 14 and a half inches from one of the dinosaur tracks that it would excavated was a 16-inch human footprint. We followed the trail left, right, left, right by removing additional limestone. I called the press just for one interview, thinking they might drive down. They flew down by helicopter. And the next morning, I got on the plane to go back to St. Louis and the front page, Fort Worth Star-Telegram, tracks step on evolution. Well, I like that. So I tried to go back to my work, but they called from Canada. They, uh, Preacher, if you ever get a chance, I'm sure you've had a chance to do this. Just enjoy it. Um, my secretary said, CBS is on the line. They want an interview on the discovery at Glenrose because... You know, finding human and dinosaur footprints together disrupts the entire paradigm, the schedule, the model of evolution. In fact, uh, Stephen Jay Gould and Richard Dawkins, ever hear of those names? Richard Dawkins is the world's leading atheist spokesman. Stephen Jay Gould used to be 
but he's no longer with us. They came down together to see the evidence. They had both published that if Ball or any of his group or anyone could actually scientifically verify that man and dinosaur lived contemporaneously, that would blow evolution out of the water. And it would, and it does. So when they saw the actual evidence held in actual hammer, a man-made artifact, 96.6% iron, you're taking notes, 0.74% sulfur, and 2.6% chlorine. You can't do that. We can't compound chlorine with metallic iron, but there it was, more sophisticated than our physicist can produce today. They held it. They saw one of the human footprints, a 14-inch human footprint, in stone. They brought with them James Farlow of Indiana University, a world-leading geologist to identify human footprints and Cretaceous rock. They verified it was Cretaceous. They looked at it. They held it. So did they repent? Did they change their publications? Did they readdress what they had said in technical and popular literature? They said one word. Impossible. And just turned and walked away. There's none so blind as he who will not see. And I want to emphasize to you in the first lecture that we have to make it so plain that even a child can understand it. Jesus was comfortable around children. He loved little children. And you love little children. I've watched this preacher. I've driven up and down this street literally hundreds of times mostly on the way to doctor's appointments to take my wife, you know. <laughs> but I, I've driven up and down this highway. I've watched the progress. I've seen God bless you. Only the hand of God can produce what is seen here. Let's give a hand of appreciation for what God has done here. Now, all of this is introduction to get you accustomed to my Texas dialect. <laughs> I was last... Saturday, I, I was lecturing in Abilene on the moon landing. That was the 50th anniversary. Long years ago, I was speaking in Abilene. Uh, now, I graduated from Abilene High School, but I've been gone many, many, many decades. So I was speaking to a crowd in Abilene, and, and I said, in a moment, you'll get accustomed to my Texas accent. And a fellow called out and said, you don't have a Texas accent. <laughs> My dad was in the audience then, and I said, Dad, did I grow up in Texas? He said, yep, but you never did talk right. <laughs> so it takes a few minutes to get accustomed to the way a guy talks, and then we can hit the road running. So the importance of this lease, just this past week, in the county judge's office, we signed a 30-year lease with the McFall family so that we can now, at our pleasure, with unrestricted access, excavate anywhere we want 
on their property that's on the river. And that's where the human and dinosaur footprints are found. What does that do for evolution? It destroys it. So today, I want to give you a basic model. Long years ago, uh, when I was a junior in high school, <clears throat> Dr. L.T. Grantham, you may have known Dr. Grantham, uh, came to my parents and he said, your son's dedicated to the Lord and we'd like for him to live with us. We'd like to influence him before he goes off to college. Well, that turned out to be a very fortunate thing uh, because I had just gone through a, a terrible time of wrestling with creation versus evolution. I was saved at age 10, called to preach at age 12, barely 12. I believed the Bible, but it was a pastor's wife who one Sunday evening in youth program came as a guest and she said, you know, we learned in seminary that there's a gap between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. So all of the time for evolutionary development can be placed in that gap. Now wait a minute. Jesus said, are you awake? Jesus said from the beginning of the creation, not 600 million years after, or 13.4 billion years after a Big Bang, from the beginning of the creation, God created Adam and Eve, established the home. So that gap is not there. You're going to learn this morning that the gap, that the whole creation is very recent, that the geologic column that is the paradigm, the lesson, the model for evolution, is actually a record of the worldwide flood. And the point is, we want to give it so well that you understand it and so that the kids will understand it. And in a few moments, we'll get right to that. First, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3, Verse 15, while you're turning, I'll complete the little story. So Dr. Grantham, the pastor, said to my parents, I want your son, if you'll permit, I want him to live with us so we can influence him because he's going to be going off to college. I had a scholarship to Edinburgh, turned it down, instead went off to Bible college and then to other colleges later, but that's immaterial. He taught me a lesson. He said, in order to prove that something is wrong, you don't have to be able to demonstrate every angle at which it departs from true rigidity. All you have to do is lay a straight one down beside it and people will know the difference. This morning, I want to give you the creation model. I want to lay the straight stick down beside the crooked stick. And hopefully before the morning is out, you'll have absolute evidence, number one, that the Bible is correct. 
that the timeline of the Bible is correct, that the entire creation is recent. Tomorrow morning in the pulpit, we're going to have a huge chart that'll be displayed uh, on, your, on your screens. It's of the moon landing. You know, one week ago we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. I personally saw the launch of Apollo 11. I was present in the stands for the launch of Apollo 13. I'll tell you about that tomorrow. So in the pulpit, we're going to talk about the space program only as an introduction. Because what they discovered on the moon, NASA being an atheistic organization, I've lectured twice up there, and they didn't let me come in and give a Bible lesson like we're going to study here. They had me give a lesson with a scientific background, but twice they invited me to NASA. Why did they invite me there? Because I hold the patents on the world's first hyperbaric biosphere. You still awake? Every once in a while, wave a hand and let me know I haven't put you to sleep. Okay. I hold various patents on the world's first hyperbaric biosphere. NASA's interested in that because that technology could give them potential for renewable food supply. You see, they can't take enough Cheerios in the capsule to get to Mars and back. They have to renew the supply to get there and back. So every once in a while, they talk to me. Anyhow, NASA is not a creation organization. But there are pockets of creationists that I know personally involved with NASA. And NASA won't talk about what I'm going to tell you in the pulpit tomorrow morning. But two major things were discovered by the Apollo 11 crews and instrumentation to major things that I'll talk about that show that this old book is precisely what it claims to be, the Word of God. So, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That passage says, first of all, give God his rightful place. Do you believe this old book to be literally true? I want to give you some evidence this morning and tomorrow and tomorrow night that you can use, that you can... It isn't simply something you put on the shelf and say, well, somebody knows what's going on. I want to give you tangible evidence you can use. So, back to that pastor's wife who taught that little group of young teens that really the Bible accommodates long ages. So that led me to accept what my biology teacher was saying, that life had developed over long periods of time. That man was not created completely whole, that he developed from a lower life form, and I accepted that. Now, if I could accept that, and I was born again, and I had been called to preach, now once I realized how difficult it was to preach, it scared me, and I just put that on the back burner. Preacher, almost nobody knows what it takes 
Number one, to receive a message from the Lord. For the Spirit of God to touch you, this is what I want you to say out of this book. To receive it. And then, by the grace of God, to communicate it. And while you're doing it, to live up to it. And then take the responsibility of the fallout from preaching it. See, the biggest problem isn't 40 minutes of preaching on Sunday morning. It's living up to it and all the consequences and getting everybody else to receive it that it is the Word of God. Somebody say amen. amen. Praise God for the preacher and preachers. All right. Now, we have a responsibility. I, Before getting to the PowerPoint program, I want to let you know that I brought the resource material that will be 90% of all you will ever need to convince someone, to convince yourself, to answer the questions. All that you'll ever need, 90% of it is right here and it's right back there. And I want to give the preacher a copy of this. So, what am I doing? First of all, here's a book called Pearls in Paradise. It's hardbound. On the front are the hands of the fifth generation descendant, a young lady, 20-year-old young lady. I took the picture on the front. I didn't write the book, but I did compile it. I took the writings of Julie Von Vett and Bruce Malone on every page, full color, every page, the best paper that we could buy, the paper alone for these books. We have 80,000 of them we're distributing in Fiji. The paper alone costs three hundred thousand dollars. Preacher told him we had a great work. He said, I have a great debt. <laughs> I understand that firsthand. Every single page is a separate lesson on creation science. What are we doing with it? What am I talking about? Forty-one years ago, I went to Fiji and opened Fiji for the first time to Baptist work. No Baptist had ever been permitted to preach in Fiji. We now have over 20 independent, fundamental, Bible-believing King James Baptist churches. We have four Bible colleges, but that's not all. That work has attracted the attention of the Ministry of Education. Early, God gave us the ear of the Assistant Director of the Fiji, uh, Editor of the Fiji Times. I ordained him as the first Baptist pastor in the history of Fiji. His son I ordained after Sam Barrick, the father, died. Now, the Ministry of Education is permitting us to present a copy of this at our expense to every single high school student in the entire nation of Fiji. 80,000 students. But that's not all. Because they want their students to become interested in science, and because their schools were originally established, most of them 
Methodist, conservative Methodist, originally established as Christian public schools. They want their students to be interested in science. I'm taking with me in September NASA Mike, who directed an entire division of NASA, born-again Christian, who's going with me, and they're permitting us to lecture in the public school system, hold your pews. They're permitting us to, permitting me to introduce a scientist, and I only take creation scientists. He speaks 20 minutes, then I speak 20 minutes, I talk about lecturing at NASA, talk about the biosphere, and then I talk about how this is described, the scientific work is described in the Word of God, that the Bible is the greatest book of science ever written. And I'll demonstrate that in just a moment. And then I introduce the fourth generation descendant of the only king chief they ever had, Sidru Thakambao. His fourth generation is Ben Barrick. He's the pastor, by the way, of that International Baptist Church that I established. I introduce him. In their language, he gives them the gospel. There was a time you could do that in America. In their language, he leads them in prayer to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Preacher, did you ever hear 600, 700, 1,040 students and teachers pray aloud at the same time? Dear God, I'm a sinner. I know Jesus Christ is your son. I need him. Right now, I open my heart to him. Lord Jesus, come in and save me right now, and I'll serve you with all my heart. Praying aloud, it's absolutely awesome. To this point, and we're about two-thirds of the way through, we have heard over 55,000 public school, high school students pray aloud to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Then the missionaries are invited by the school to come back in as often as they can to supplement the work. Then we give them this book. What difference has it made? The principles come to us. Well, first of all, we win them to the Lord. And they've got an edge on education when they know the Lord. Number one, they know the Creator. Number two, their minds are now open to truth. So we win them to the Lord, and we give every one of them one of these books. Now, principals are coming, they're stopping us on the street to come to us and say, the students in our school, their scores in English and science were in the mid-40s. But they have the DEER program. What's the DEER program? Drop everything and read. When the school bell rings for 15 minutes, they don't talk. Nothing happens. They just read. Well, what are they going to read? The newspaper? Some of them try to read their Bibles. Some of them try to read various things. Now they have this book. They're reading this book. And, as I'm going to show you in a moment, these little minuet lessons are so interesting, and they have scripture, and in the back, the scientific reference is given. 
Now the scores after one semester in English and science, what were they to begin with in the mid-40s? Now they're in the mid-90s after one semester. Let me show you what's in here. This is, I just turned to November the 2nd. I try to stay away from bees, uh, but this talks about bees. Let me show you what they're reading. A bee has a brain so small you would need a magnifying glass to see it. This brain, made up of one million neurons, a tiny fraction the size of a human brain, allows this insect to fly, navigate, and pass complex information to other bees. Princeton University researchers found bees to be stunningly intelligent. These researchers wanted to see if bees could find their food source if the food was moved increasingly farther away from the hive. First, the researchers moved their prime food source 150 feet away from the hive. The bees found the food in less than one minute, like kids going for pizza. <laughs> Next, they moved the food source another 150 feet away in the same direction. Again, the bees took less than a minute to find the food source. They did this two more times, moving it precisely 150 feet each time until it was 600 feet away. Each time the bees rapidly located the food, but then the astounding happened. While the researchers were studying the bees, the bees were studying the researchers. When the researchers moved the food a fifth time to a location now 700 feet away from the hive, they found the bees already at the new location waiting for them. <laughs> the bees saw the pattern, calculated the next move, anticipated the action of the researchers, and beat them to the new location. Evolutionists believe intelligence evolved by accident and chance over millions of years. The ability of bees to learn quickly actually shows the hand of the Creator not accident and chance. Jeremiah 10:6. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Every page of this book has something comparable to that. One page shows how the Neanderthals invented superglue, but I'm not going to take time to read that, but, but it's there. So, now I'm going to give the preacher his copy. How can you get a copy of this? You see, these lessons give what your children need for lessons in school, what you need, even what a professor needs. It runs the entire gamut from youth through college level, all in readable English. That's about the bats. How can you get one? I have a stack of them right back there. They're not for sale at any price can't buy it. How do you get one? You have to become a missionary. For everyone who contributes to the museum, because we're the ones who have to pay for this, for everyone who contributes a minimum of $50 to the museum, you get your book, you get a receipt, since it's a missions program, you get the receipt for every cent, and we run this through the CPA's office, so you get to take it off your income tax. You 
get to register as a missionary on this project and you get a gold framed certificate. List your name. This document certifies that your name has performed the role of a missionary by contributing funds to provide copies of Pearls in Paradise to South Pacific School students, signed by a descendant of the great King Chief and by the director of the project, that's my wife's husband. <laughs> and preacher, you are already a missionary. There's your copy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, very quickly, and we are on schedule. I'll let you out by 3 o'clock this afternoon. No, we'll, we'll, we'll go for a break in about 20 minutes. Two weeks ago, this came off the press. This is what we're going to be talking about today. The creation model. I'm going to show you some of the things wrong with evolution, right with creation. I'm going to show you why I bought the lie of evolution. And I was the most miserable guy around. I was saved. I was born again. And philosophically, I tried to become an atheist. As a born-again Christian? Yes, because the pastor's wife, a preacher's wife, said, you know, you can accommodate all of what your school is teaching with the long ages between Genesis 1 and 1-2. Well, you can't really. You can't. But that's called the gap theory that has been swallowed by many theologians, even the Schofield Reference Bible, which is my favorite Bible. But I'm trying, going to try to show you this morning how that it's all recent, just as the Bible says. You see, time to take notes. The Bible is the most profound scientific manual ever written. But I thought the Bible spoke about religion. Well, religion satisfies the flesh, but Christianity puts the flesh to death. The Bible begins with the most awesome scientific statement of cosmogony. What on earth is cosmogony? That's the study of the origin of the universe. All concepts, all cosmogonies, secular science, religion, all concepts of the origin of the universe begin with the universal potential already existing except one. The Bible shows there was nothing. Watch closely. I was lecturing in Fiji just three months ago. I'll be back in two months. I introduced a creation scientist, a brilliant physicist. And he was lecturing and he said, students, we came to Fiji to let you know that you can trust your Bible because it begins with the greatest scientific statement that any researcher has ever read. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He said, in that statement are the three parameters 
that scientists work with. He said, I work with physics. I work with math. I work in laboratory. There are three parameters that we work with. There are time, space, and mass. Are you remembering this? You're taking it down? He said, in the beginning, that's time. God created the heaven, that's space, and the earth, that's mass. And the students responded. I then lectured, brought it to a spiritual emphasis, introduced the descendant of the great king chief, and he led them in an invitation. Then, we were packing up, and one of the teachers came bringing a little fifth grade girl. The fifth graders had been permitted to listen in in that school. One of the teachers brought a little fifth grade girl, and she said, I was sitting there as the team was packing, and I was getting ready for the next lecture. She said, sir, uh, my fifth grade student has something to tell you. I said, okay. The little girl came up trembling just a little bit. She said, sir, actually, there are not just three parameters that science works with in Genesis 1.1. There are all five of them. I said, tell me about it. She said, in the beginning, that's time. God, that's absolute force, created, that's energy. The heavens, that's space, and the earth, that's time. Science works with five parameters. Are you listening? That was one of those special moments. Science works with time, force, energy, space, and mass. I said, young lady, where did you learn that? She said, last week, you lectured in Suva, the capital. My father was there listening. You gave all five parameters. My father came home, called the whole family together, and said, I want to show you that the Bible, the Bible is a book of science, and you can trust it. And by the way, he was a Hindu. Somebody's listening. So you tell me, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, the light he called day, the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Then verse number 6 says, And God said, Let there be a firmament. That brings us to this book. It took 40 years to write this book. In the meantime, I wrote eight other books, but this was critical. You see, Genesis 1, 6 says, on day number two of creation, God said, let there be a firmament 
And that word for firmament is rekia. It is a crystalline construct. Our creation scientists used to embrace that, but they don't any longer because they couldn't find any way to keep it suspended. Well, I was lecturing on television on the creation model that you're going to get before the morning is out. I was lecturing on television. And then I got back to, I was in Houston, got back to Glenrose. There was a fax waiting for me. And the fax said, Dear Dr. Ball, I heard you lecturing on satellite television on the creation model. I can complete it. Please give me a call. I'm lecturing in the Advanced Physics Department, Texas A&M University. Uh, and then he signed it. Doctor, doctor. I knew from that he was from the Eastern Bloc countries. Doctor, doctor, David Otway Ray, senior academician, Academy of Sciences, USSR. And then he listed five other academies of science, including the London Royal Society that he is a member of. And he wanted to talk to me? Wow. So I called him. And he said, what you're saying is absolute truth. And I can demonstrate it mathematically. So he did. But his math, uh, he's proficient in quantum algebra. <laughs> the, the pastor said, me too. <laughs> uh, there are only a handful of less than a dozen. I'm sure, I knew you were smart, preacher. Less than a dozen. <laughs> less than a dozen people worldwide who are proficient in quantum algebra. So he solved the problem. But it was so complicated. I listed him first. Now, it's my book. I wrote it. But he wrote the math in advanced math to show how that canopy could be suspended. And that's all of these pages at the back. I put them at the back because who can read it? But I put his name first. Sir David Otway Ray, knighted by the Queen of England for his work in physics and astrophysics. But then I knew all the... Ba what was the world like before the flood? How could man live so long? Stay with us all morning. We'll be talking about that. What was man's IQ before the flood? How could Adam, God paraded all the basic life forms and Adam named them instantly? And God said, and whatsoever name he gave, that was the name thereof, meaning, kid, you did it right. How smart was Adam? In this book, one of the sub-authors has calculated pre-flood man's IQ. In this book, we have the atmospheric pressure. Most of it from there is color. Aren't you glad? The book's already colored in. <laughs> I, I have in a library in St. Louis tucked away 5,000 volumes. And most of them haven't been colored in yet. <laughs> I'm trying to wake you up. Are you still awake? <laughs> On almost every page, what was that canopy like? How could man live so long before the flood? Then, the reason it took 40 years to finish this was, none of our scientists, secular or creation scientists, and we have some of the world's most brilliant scientists, none of them knew how to calculate how to keep that canopy in suspension until Edward Boudreau came.
PhD in chemical physics, and his assistant, Eric Baxter. So I listed them ahead of my name. Why, why isn't your name first? There is no place in God's service for pride. I learned when I was still a teenager. Are you listening? There is no limit to the good a person can do as long as he doesn't care who gets the credit. You want to write that down? Everybody has to get credit. I, I did this. Well, sure. Well, listen, that's my best word. Well, well, sure it is. And besides, whatever we take credit for, Al Gore's going to come along and say, I'm the one who invented the web anyhow. <laughs> Somebody is going to upstage us. So in this book are the mathematical calculations by Edward Boudreau in language that a high school math student can understand on how the canopy was held in suspension. And this book is available for sale and we have to charge tax. It's $20 plus a couple of dollars tax, $22. Preacher, you're already paid up. There's your copy. And I'm sure you're going to enjoy that quantum algebra in the back. <laughs> oh, he called in uh, to get the final, the, the final little caveat on, on how to write that. Well, good. I sure am glad you gave him the answer. <laughs> All right. Church, it is so good to be here. Now, Brother Andrew, it's, it's a quarter of ten. I spent the whole 45 minutes on the introduction. So, do you want us to break for about ten minutes, or it's going to take about 30 or 40 minutes to give this next lecture? Okay. So, before you take a break, at the end, by the way, there's going to be Q&A. That's, that's the most fun of the whole time, question and answer. It's stump, stump the professor time at the conclusion this morning, and tomorrow night as well. And that's the most enjoyable time. But let's, let's wrap this up before you, you go for whatever is Any pizza over there? No. But, uh, but we do have donuts. Okay. I'm going. What, what have we learned this morning? Now, I talked to you 45 minutes, and it wasn't just rambling. It may have seemed like it was. I want to ask you. I want to make sure you're listening. I want to make sure you wrote it down, or you've got a photographic memory and won't forget it. What are the five scientific parameters that science has to work with? Only five, no more, no less. There are three basic parameters, but all five of those are included in Genesis 1-1. And before the morning is out, I'm going to try to show you that this old book can be defended scientifically. And the notes that you have, we probably won't get to. That's so you can read them at home. The notes that you have will demonstrate to you the same thing in an added dimension. What are those five parameters that scientists have to work with that are the opening statement of the Word of God. Someone raise your hand. Yes, ma'am. All right. Let's give this young lady a hand. Okay. Now, can, can one of you guys... Well, you listed energy at the last. It's number three, but you got it anyhow. Yeah, you got... Okay, some gentleman. Yes. 
okay, space and mass, but you, you got them all. Let's give them a hand. Now, somebody get them all five in order. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Uh, somebody raise your hand and give all five of them. Both of these gave them. Somebody else. Yes. Okay, almost. Okay, let's give everybody a hand. That'll wake you up. That'll wake you up. All right. Now, tell me what you learned. One thing you learned in one sentence. What did you learn today? Other than that, raise of a hand. Anybody learn anything? You're right. The Bible is the greatest book of science ever written. There is a matrix. We'll have break in a moment. There is a matrix of over 300 scientific statements covering all of the primary scientific disciplines. That's just what we know about. There's a matrix running across the entire Bible, the background. A statement here, a statement there, a statement over there. A matrix that has never been refuted. Never been refuted. It's absolutely incredible. The Bible is a book of science. But the primary message of the Bible is not science. That's just the verifying background. There is a higher purpose. It is the potential of man being redeemed and knowing his Creator personally. Uh, I'll probably begin the next session by telling you David Otway raised, I'm sorry you have to leave, preacher, but are we recording this? And hopefully you'll get a chance to listen. I want to tell you about David Otway Ray's testimony. It's absolutely astounding. Somebody else tell me what you learned today to encourage the speaker that even though I was rambling, uh, what, what are these books about? Pearls in Paradise. What do they cover? Creation from beginning to end for children, for college students, all in between. Who invented superglue? Neanderthals. How do you know? It's in the book. 